Aloha from Maui, Hawaii. Good morning and good afternoon to the mainland. Good evening to Europe and England and uh, other points around the world. Got a couple of new people from Australia signed up on the Ageless Wisdom Ning site, our social net today. So good day to all of uh, you good people down under as well. Nice to be here for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School for the next 25 minutes or so, a uh, meditation class that we do freely every Sunday afternoon here um, from Maui, Hawaii, followed by a premium in-depth training that goes for an additional 90 minutes. And uh, you can enroll and register for the premium training at any time, even during this free event, if you'd like, or during the four or five minutes uh, between the two events, or during the initial minutes of the uh, class itself, you'll get a thank you page with the URL and the passwords you need to join us for the premium training. Just go to theagelesswisdom.com. Uh, the T-H-E, as you probably know, is part of the address. So after the W's, dot, the agelesswisdom.com. Click on the Enter button to go inside, and then you'll see on the left one of the links is Webinars. And if you click on that, you'll be able to access both this event, the archives, over 170 of these classes from the past, or enroll in the premium training for either a single class and uh, you also have the option of course to register for 13 weeks or a full year there. In the last uh, five weeks we've done an introduction to stress management, meditation for all of the benefits that accrue from stress management. Now for the next several weeks we're going to talk about Eastern philosophy and try to give you an introduction to some of the concepts that run through the various religions and philosophies and folk wisdoms, really, of Eastern philosophy in general. And uh, there are many common threads, as I suggested in the newsletter this past week, what many people think of as Eastern religion, and in many cases is more philosophy than religion, like pretty hard to make a case for Confucianism being a religion, or even Buddhism being more than a philosophy or a type of psychotherapy. There, much of so-called Eastern religion is not anything like religion in the West, and uh, it has very different goals, and uh, as well as processes for attaining those goals. And yet uh, there are some common threads, not only connecting Eastern philosophy, but all of the world's religions and philosophies. So we'll talk about that a little bit here this morning in the free forum and in depth in the class that follows at 1.30 Pacific today. The threads that tend to run through Eastern philosophy and world philosophy as well, as I say, like different patches in the same quilt. Uh, 
And we'll start today in the most basic way, talking about some of these threads or these patches, if you will, or these concepts. And what about them is appealing to Westerners, many of whom have felt this spiritual longing, and yet they look at Western religion, and while it may meet some of their needs, or even many of their needs, there are aspects of it that a lot of people just reject. Uh, The simplistic idea of a separate God, for example, somehow the the nature of divinity is something that lives outside of the world rather than within the world, a more mystical view. I think that's one of the core features of Eastern philosophy. It's found in the mystical or mystery traditions of Judaism, uh, Christianity, and Islam, in Kabbalah, Rosicrucianism, and Sufism, this view of divinity or God being uh, all-encompassing, not only transcendent, but imminent, that is, uh, a, a container of all that is, and yet imminent within all that is, everything in the one and the one in everything. Again, this is found in the mystery traditions the Kabbalah, the mystical Judaism, uh, Rosicrucianism, and inner Freemasonry, the outer Freemasonry is just a social club, but a service organization, but inner Freemasonry, which is essentially Rosicrucianism, uh, Knights Templar, Priory of Sion, the Holy Blood, Holy Grail stuff. And in Islam, of course, this rich and beautiful tradition called Sufism, And in each case, they stand as a distinct alternative to fundamental or orthodox Judaism, fundamental Christianity, and of course the fundamentalist uh, part of Islam is getting all the press and all the attention these days with their misapplication of jihad. I think it's important to point out, if you've never looked at Islam, that the vast majority of Muslims understand jihad to be a personal struggle. A jihad is a war that you wage against your own personal demons and your negativity, the ego, or your uh, your dark side, so to speak. The, the part of you that identifies with the separative self in a you-or-me world. The mystic, of course, doesn't see himself or herself as separate from anything, but as part of an ocean of consciousness in a universe that is divine. Well, even though Western monotheistic religion, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, does have their mystical wing, so to speak, It's the Eastern philosophy that's generally thought of as being the most mystical, the most harmonious and unified in this regard. The idea that everything is sacred, that nothing could exist 
outside of God or the absolute divinity of all things. Uh, to a mystic or someone who's aligned themselves with Eastern philosophy, uh, what kind of God would it be if things existed outside of God, if God was separated from its creation? Then you have all these forces that are not divine, and the world is divided up into good guys and bad guys. Well, you can see the impact of that kind of thinking on the world. Instead of being able to empathize or sympathize with your neighbor, uh, we, we, we tend in our fears and our paranoias to see anything that's different in a you-or-me world, in a world where everything is separated and distinct. We see all differences as opposites. We see differences as if they oppose us. We see the discord and the antagonism but we tend not to see the harmony, much less the unity. And I think that's one of the very first concepts that students of comparative religion and philosophy see as appealing in the Eastern traditions. They may not know about Western mysticism because it's so veiled. How many Jews know about Kabbalah? How many Christians know anything about um, Rosicrucianism and the mystical traditions of saints and sages in the Catholic and Protestant churches. Um, how many Sufis, uh, how many uh, Muslims, <clears throat> excuse me, know anything about Sufism? Probably a higher number there. Sufism, I think, is probably better known to Muslims than. Rosicrucianism is to Christians or Kabbalah is to Jews. But these traditions are rather veiled, whereas in Eastern philosophy, uh, they may be somewhat veiled in the Vedic cultures, what's called Hinduism. We'll find out in our premium training uh, a little later today that there really is no such thing as Hinduism. But we'll describe the the Vedic traditions and the religions of, of, of Krishna um, and the spin-offs, the Buddhism and the Jainism and the Taoism and the Sikhism and in China, Confucianism as well as Taoism. And, and I, th I think, again, part of the appeal of Eastern philosophy for many in the West, not, not to mention people in the East and Middle East, is this sense of harmony, that the Creator is in all things. Indeed, the phrase namaste, you may say it and not even know what it means. Uh, to put the palms of your hands together, flat, fingers pointed upward, and bring those folded hands to the heart, or to the forehead and then the heart, as you bow, either slightly or deeply, depending on the degree of reverence for the one that you meet. And then uttering the syllables, namaste, what you're saying is, I greet the divinity in you. I recognize that you, by definition, not necessarily by works or understanding, but simply because you exist, 
are part of the one life and the one God. One of the greatest misnomers in the, in the Western world about Hinduism and the various Eastern philosophies is that they are polytheistic, that they have many gods. It's really not true. They worship one god that has many qualities, and those qualities are often portrayed as demigods or um, various uh, apparitions of God, but they're not the... And, and also, you know, there is a, a trinity in Eastern philosophy, not unlike the trinity that is seen as unified in Christianity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Father, Son, and Mother aspect, in Eastern philosophy is uh, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. So, and there are many other uh, variations on that. Islam, it's the beloved love and the lover. And it's found in shamanism, the trinity is found in all of the mystical and religious traditions of the world. We'll talk a little more about duality and trinity, the number five, the number seven, and how they fit into Eastern philosophy in our premium training that follows. Um, so that, I think that's probably the primary appeal, this, this sense of, of harmony and that things that are different are not necessarily a threat to you. It's, it's really a shift from a you-or-me world that predominates in the West to a you-and-me world. And is, there, is this a challenge in the East? Yes, of course. Are not uh, there divisions and uh, antagonism in daily life and affairs among Buddhists and, uh, and, uh, and Hindus and, uh, and others? Well, of course. Uh, how do they resolve them? It's a little easier to resolve. I mean, they're human beings. The challenge is to manage your emotions. And I would say, generally, they're a little easier to resolve if your ultimate philosophy is we're all part of one thing, rather than the Western view, which is that spiritually we're no different than we are physically. The Western world view is not only are you separated by your bodies and living in a world where everything is separated from everything else, but spiritually we're separated as well. Eastern philosophy doesn't have that. It would say, yes, in form, incarnated, we exist as separated beings, but it's our consciousness or our awareness, not our thoughts so much as our awareness of the thought process not our emotional nature so much as the feelings that prevail and uh, and continue to exist when our emotional nature is calm and the body is still and the mind is quiet there are thoughts and feelings but awareness or consciousness is a perspective that is mindfully detached from those thoughts and feelings, much less speech and other behavior. So even though we may, in an Eastern worldview, live in separate bodies, in 
terms of our consciousness, we're part of one spiritual ocean. And that probably makes it a little bit easier to resolve conflict. Uh, another set of principles that make Eastern philosophy appealing to many disaffected Westerners are the principles of karma and reincarnation. Many people argue that reincarnation is addressed in the Christian Gospels, but the church, uh, the original Catholic church from the second, third, fourth centuries as it was forming, made a conscious decision to take reincarnation out of the teachings of Christ. Many of the Gospels that were discovered later, like the uh, so-called Gnostic Gospels that were dug up at Nag Hammadi in the desert in the late 1940s, uh, books like the Gospel of Thomas, for example, um, suggest that there may be, in fact, a reincarnation in the teachings of Christ. It's always interested me that uh, fundamentalist Christians like to talk about the importance of taking these Gospels literally, but if you ask them about born again, Christ saying you need to be born again, they say, oh, well, you can't take that literally. Well, okay, then maybe we shouldn't take everything else literally. Uh, I think it's important to point out that in Matthew in particular, Christ talks at length about how he should never be taken literally, that uh, all of his teaching is done in parables and poetry and allegory and metaphor, because basically he says, if I just told you straight out, you'd never get it. You'd never understand. So I have to tell you these stories, like comparing your faith, for example, in, in God and in divinity to the faith that this mustard seed has in its ability to grow up into a into a tree. And if you had as much faith as this mustard seed, well, you could tell the mountain to go from here to there. Well, obviously, again, you can't take that literally. And yet, um, that's part of the problem we have in the West, is those fundamentalists who take these things literally are likely to be the most antagonistic the Orthodox Jew, the fundamentalist Christian, or the jihadist, so-called, the, the very separative and fundamentalist Muslims as well. Again, we have that in Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion, but it's less likely to happen and to prevail because of this concept of, of unity we talked about. And then to add karma and reincarnation, this idea that the universe is not fickle. Uh, God is not a micromanager um, intervening in your local high school football game because you prayed harder than the other side for God to intervene and determine the outcome of the sports contest. Um, treating God like Santa Claus with a wish list and petitioning. Uh, this is a to many people a gross misunderstanding of the power of prayer and the way it should be used. Um, in most places in the world, prayer is less about petitioning than it is about creating a rapport or an alignment 
Um, it's said in Christianity by some, not the fundamentalists, but many, many others in Christianity, that prayer does not move God. Prayer moves the one who prays into a more receptive or aligned state, what in this school we often call the path of least resistance. So I wanted to do a meditation exercise, but I would say uh, these are the first three concepts that make Eastern philosophy appealing uh, to people who are looking for something more. The concept of a mystical view of the oneness of all things, uh, divinity, everything, everything being sacred. Uh, namaste, I greet the divinity in you. Not because you're a good person, but because you exist. <laughs> There's got to be some godness, some goodness in there. And then the idea that not only your, your behavior has consequences, but your thoughts and intentions have consequences. The feelings that you pursue and focus upon have consequences. And that reincarnation, combined with the idea of redemption, is a profound and pithy concept. It's not r redemption or reincarnation. You can have the two concepts uh, co-mingled, and many people like that idea. Also, in addition to prayer in Eastern philosophy, there is meditation and contemplation, which Western philosophy and religion is picking up on a little bit more. But Let's do a real quick three or four minute opening focus or meditation exercise here. I'd like you to sit back in the chair and get comfortable and close your eyes. Ah, a little shoulder shrug and a head roll and then feel balanced as you take a couple of nice slow deep breaths and feel yourself relaxing. Ah, especially as you exhale, ah, feel the feeling of muscular tension just falling away. Muscles unwinding and relaxing as you become more and more peaceful, feeling really safe, safe and relaxed. And then allow your breathing to find a natural rhythm and just place your attention on the bottom of your nose and watch your breath. Feeling open and receptive to a precipitation downward of spirit, of love and light. You can think of it as coming into the top of your head or you could think of the chakras like lotus blossoms opening from the base of the spine upward, each valve opening, flooding the body with love and light, going to the next higher chakra, more love and light pouring in at each level, creating a receptivity and an alignment to your spiritual or energy source so that you allow yourself to become aware of feeling filled and full and fulfilled 
every nook and cranny within your being filled with love and light that heals you and enlightens, allows you to understand the bigger picture and the connections and harmony where in the past you may only have seen division and antagonism. And imagine that light and that love radiating out in all directions. Now, if you can do this for 10 or 15 minutes once a day, it'll change your life. But if you just did this simple exercise for even two or three minutes, several times throughout the day, you would enjoy similar benefits. So instead of telling yourself you don't have time, make the time to meditate and bring this feeling now of safety and relaxation, of peace and a more complete world view, a wholeness, feeling healed and fulfilled back into the room as you inhale, big breath. And as you exhale now, uh, open your eyes, wide awake, back in the room, feeling fine, better than before. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. And if you're registered, if you're enrolled, we'll see you in just a couple of minutes at the other website for the premium training. If you'd like to enroll, it's only $6.95 for a single class. Deep discounts if you enroll for longer periods. Go to the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com click on enter then webinars and you'll see the premium training there where you can enroll in like 60 seconds a thank you page would give you the URL for the class and the passwords you need to get in listen by web or telephone or both and we'll in any event talk to you next week on the free meditation class here at 1 o'clock pacific in the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.